All right, please join me in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Are you already in Acts? Well, yeah. I've been going to that church for seven years and I only know three books. As you can tell, I'm going to deviate from our series in Acts tonight to give you something the Lord has very definitely laid upon my heart while I was away for a week. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I'd like to read verses 11 through 21. I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me. For I ought to have been commended of you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders, and mighty deeds. For what is it wherein ye were inferior to other churches, except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend, and I will very, very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. But be it so, I, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you with guile. There's some sarcasm here. Did I make a gain of you by any of them whom I sent unto you? I desired Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make a gain of you? Walked we not in the same spirit? Walked we not in the same steps? Again, thank ye that we excuse ourselves unto you. We speak before God in Christ. But we do all things, dearly beloved, for your edifying. For I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I would, that I shall be found unto you such as you would not, lest there be debates, envyings, wrath, strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults. And lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, that I shall be well many which have sinned already, and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. Amen and amen. So part of the reason the Apostle Paul has written the second letter to the Corinthians is to defend his position as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes it a point in almost all his letters to mention how he's an apostle by the will of God. And I don't have time to cover all the verses in this book, uh, not in one message, but the, the problem was there were false apostles who were making their way into the church at Corinth. They had in, infiltrated the church, and they sought their own glory. And in trying to elevate themselves, they were discrediting Paul's authority as an apostle. Unfortunately, I know what that's like to be on the receiving end of that kind of attitude. Those kind of preachers are still in existence today. They build themselves up by tearing down others. These are those who will happily tell you what they're against, but that essentially becomes their message every week. Instead of declaring how their church needs to be more like Christ, they're more interested in proclaiming who their church is not going to be like. And through this process, we've been accused of a number of things down through the years. Um, Things that people say to try to excuse God's good hand upon us. 
I've heard things similar to, you know, God's not really working at liberty. They're just a bunch of compromisers, and that's why people attend, and that's why they're growing. But none of those things move me. I have a clear conscience with God. Amen. Amen. I don't go out of my way to address those who say such unfounded things unless they call me. And, and the reason I don't go out of my way is because those are people from the outside. Paul here is dealing with some folks on the inside. And since he labored to establish this church, you can bet he's invested. He's, he wants to make sure this church is going to be okay. So he wants to keep them on strong doctrinal footing. And in order to do that, he has to defend himself as an apostle. If you look just real quick in chapter 11, you'll see in verse 3, talking about doctrinal purity, he, he says, But I fear less by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You see, there were those who had come in and they were adding to the finished work of Christ. We talked this morning how simple the gospel is, and yet there are those who seek to corrupt it. They muddy the waters, they complicate salvation, and you lose the simplicity that's there, and then you have to live in fear over whether or not you're ever going to be good enough. Newsflash, you'll never be good enough. But there are those who are, are corrupting the pure gospel. And that was happening here in Corinth. And he says in the next verse here, For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. And so what Paul is saying here is, if you'll put up with those knuckleheads, you can put up with me just for a moment. I need to say some things to you, he says, and you're allowing these guys in. You can bear with me for just a little bit. And that's, that's what he's saying here. Because he said there in verse 1, Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly. He, he, he wants them to, to listen to what he has to say. So you kind of see all this ties together. And then in verse 5, he begins to defend his apostleship. For I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostles. And then in verses 22 through 28, he gives his famous resume, if you will, of his sufferings for the gospel of Christ. And the very, very popular verses there. But then as we come to chapter 12 and verse 11, Paul begins by saying, I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me. For I ought to have been commended of you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. In other words, Paul is saying, what I'm doing right now, this is something I should have never had to do. But you forced me. Somebody called 2 Corinthians the, the letter that never should, have been, never should have had to have been written. And he's saying, you forced me to do this. I've become foolish. He says, you should have commended me, not challenged me. But now I've got to defend myself by glorying in myself and he's basically saying, shame on you, I shouldn't have to do this. And this was an uncomfortable position for Paul to be in, amen? This is the very people he reached. And yet he's having to defend himself to those people. It, it makes no sense. You shouldn't have to defend yourself to your children. I know I reached you, I brought you into this world. I can tell you from personal experience, it hurts when those from within won't defend you. Those you have reached, those you have labored for to feed and take care of. 
And, and we're not going there tonight. It just hurts. It just hurts. It hurts when you see them come to the Lord, you baptize them, you disciple them, and then they, they leave you and they say nasty things about you. You know what I'm talking about if you've walked with Christ for any amount of time. And it hurts when they tell you, you know, you're just a fraud. And, and you love them. And, and yet they tell you you're a fraud. You find out what's being said behind your back because they don't have enough gumption to tell you to your face or, or they don't love you enough to tell you to your face, whatever the case and to my knowledge, I've never gotten to the place where I felt like I needed to commend myself, though I can look back and see some times where perhaps I should have, but in my newness, I, I, I didn't. I've been content to allow your faithfulness to speak for itself. So what I mean is if somebody leaves and they say bad things, I can at least in my heart know, hey, look, there's going to be about 180 people here that want to hear the gospel. And, and I'm thankful for that. And I just let that speak on my behalf um, but then again, I've been told the only reason you're here is because I forced you to be. Um, if I had that kind of power, there wouldn't be an empty seat. Somebody say amen. So, so who knows? Who, who knows? Uh, haters going to hate, and you just, can't, you just can't stay focused on that. But um, perhaps I should speak up at times, or even better, as Paul is trying to communicate to the church here in Corinth, you should speak up for your pastor when the time is necessary. Amen. So in verse 12, Paul highlights how the signs of an apostle were wrought among them and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And I don't have time to get into it, but this is a very important verse if you ever want to go against Pentecostalism. Pentecostalism, the American form of it, has this idea of healings and things like this. But, but what we find here is that I wrought among you um, the signs of an apostle. There were healings, there were miracles. And, and what he's saying is because I had those signs, those sign gifts, because I had that power and that authority... I have the ability to give the Word of God in a, re in, in a revelation kind of way. You can't do that anymore. And so the, the problem with the Pentecostal movement, my friends, is that if they say they have the power to heal, they are essentially, without them maybe even understanding it, saying, I have the power to receive revelation from God. You don't. That has ceased. We have the Word of God. That went out with the apostles. I don't have time to get into that. Um, but, but this is a very important verse on that particular subject. And that's a message for another time. In verse 13, he asked, For what is it wherein ye were inferior to other churches? In other words, Paul is saying, What possible problem can you have with me? You, you know, heretofore, this, Paul spent more time here than anywhere. I think he'll end up spending more time in Ephesus on his next missionary trip. Uh, but when, when he went to Corinth, I believe he spent 18 months there. It's a long time. And then he adds, I wasn't even burdensome to you. In other words, I didn't receive to seek anything from you. I didn't make any money off you. You didn't pay me anything. He says, I met my own needs. And so the Apostle Paul says, get this now, he says, ye have compelled me. You have compelled me. I should have been commended by you. But you should have come to my defense. You should have dealt with those who seek to question my authority. That's what Paul is saying. You should have told them about my sufferings for Christ's sake that he mentions in the previous chapter. You should have mentioned those things. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you should have said that. You should have told them, look, you're working for monetary gain and Paul didn't work for anything. And so Paul says, you've caused me to glory and I shouldn't have to do this. 
You should have stood up for me is what he's saying. And in verse 14, Paul says, I will come to you a third time. And I still won't seek for you to care for me. You see, Paul didn't want to be accused of taking money for teaching because in the Greek culture, there was a lot of people who did that. Greeks seek after wisdom, the Bible says. And so there would be these who would come in and they would teach and they would pay them. And Paul says, I don't even want to be a part of that. And so he's coming in here, he's meeting his own needs due to the culture there, just to have a, a, a clearer testimony, if you will. And, and he says, forgive me this wrong. He, he really should have done things differently, in my opinion. Because the Bible says those who live of the gospel should... Well, how's it go? Eat of the gospel? Is that what it says? Uh, let me put it in, in my terms, Brooks' terms. If you preach the gospel, you ought to get paid by those who hear the gospel. <laughs> All right, that's, that's the simple version. Um, and, and so he says, For I seek not yours, but you. That's his reason that he gives. I, I wasn't burdensome. I'm not going to be burdensome. Why? Because I want you. I'm not looking to elevate myself. He's not looking for a career boost. He's not looking for a stepping ladder. He's not looking for something to put on his resume and say, see what I did in Corinth? I served there for 18 years. You see how that church grew? You want me on the sword of the Lord board or whatever. You want me. And so he's, he's saying, look, I'm not, I'm not looking to do any of that. He says, I just want to serve you. And he uses the example for the children not, not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Don't have time to get in all that. I think that's more than monetary. But I'll tell you that um, he counted them as his children. He said in Galatians 4.19, My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Now all of that was to give you a background on how we arrived to verse 15. He says, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. And there are many parents, and maybe every parent to some extent, can identify with that thought. You gladly spend and, and you are spent for them. But usually sometime during those teenage years, a child will rise up and get sassy, pop off, maybe say things you don't want them to, to say. And you think, golly, the more I love, the less I be loved. What am I going to do with you? <laughs> Bring them to my house. I'll show you what we do. <laughs> but, but seriously, sometimes it's in very hurtful ways. But I want to use this verse to try and communicate to you why I need the occasional no-notice time off. It confuses some and it frustrates others. But I hope that you'll hear my heart. It's hard to believe, isn't it? But on February the 3rd, I will have been the pastor here for seven years. Nobody thought it would last that long. <laughs> including myself. During this time, there have been occasions where I needed to get away. And I mean needed. I want you to know it's my desire to miss as few services as possible. But it happens, it'll continue to happen. You say, why are you addressing this? Because people are asking uh, there's various reasons for missing services, spending time away with my family, visiting our family out of state. There are preaching opportunities that come along. There's conferences that I would like to attend from time to time to, that help me, church issues that I have to deal with that are so, so heavy that I can't, I can't even preach. And there's sicknesses, of course, and then there's what I call brain breaks. 
And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. And I'm going to focus on, on me as the pastor, but this is for everybody. You cannot just keep going and going and going. You need a break. Someone might be thinking, well, how can you fulfill the role as pastor when you're not here? Well, that's what I hope to try to communicate tonight. These usually come with little or no notice, and they have nothing to do with anything else but me trying to be a better pastor. A flock often misunderstands why a pastor needs to get away for these brain breaks. Um, I'm aware of how this frustrates people because they're unscheduled. But I want you to know tonight, they're a necessary part of my life as a pastor. And and for what it's worth, according to my records, to date we have had 1,090 services with me as your pastor. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And so I've spent 2.1% of those on brain breaks. Surely that's not too much to ask. Two years ago, in early 2021, I gave a 10-week series on the relationship between pastor and church. If you were here for that, consider tonight an addendum to that series. But I want you to know these are some of the hardest sermons to preach because they can come across as self-serving, and that's not my intent. I don't ever want it to come across like I think I'm something special and you're not. I'm part of the body just like you. And we all have those times when we need a break. But the fact is, some don't understand these things. And honestly, if you've never pastored, you'll never understand it. And I'm not being ugly when I say that. You may think you understand it, you don't. And you can come up to me with all the verses, well, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You can give me all the verses you want. Unless you've been a pastor, don't come up to me and give me those verses right now. Wait a week and then give them to me. (laughs) I thought there were things I grasped when I sat right over there. And then when I got up here, it took a week for me to realize, what (laughs) is this ministry? There's a family here tonight that probably knows exactly what I'm talking about. One week to the day of getting voted in, this serious situation came up in our church, and I, I thought, this is God's people. I dealt with this in the military. I understand that. They're the world's people. It's God's people doing this stuff. And it wasn't, it wasn't long before that Obama had went on his Apology for America tour. And so I had called every pastor and said, I'm on my Apology to Pastors tour. And uh, I just said, I'm so sorry. I didn't pray for you the way I should have. And, of course, they all understood. And uh, you, you just don't know is all, is all I'm saying. Uh, n- not even my wife fully understands, and she knows better than probably anybody in here as far as how I'm wired. So one of the problems people have is they tend to compare pastors with other pastors. We're a military church. We see a lot of rotation. Uh, you may have had the, the best pastor in the world before coming here. I am not that man. We, we had Pastor Williams. We were very blessed. Um, but we're all wired differently. And the way one guy does things is not going to be necessarily the way another guy does things. And, and listen, all pastors are at different stages of growth. Although many people think, well, the pastor's arrived. Um, I'm still growing like you are. I think there's more of that in my... Oh, here it is. One, one more sentence, Cindy, we'll get to it. But 
you know, because of the awkwardness of these kind of sermons for, for the pastor, uh, he often will fail in teaching his flock the demands of the ministry, um, their own need for personal growth, and how you can care for your pastor. And yet, all of these things are in the Bible. And so why do we shy away from addressing these things? The perception by some is that the pastor is a spiritual giant who never has any issues in his life. I think Ken knows me pretty well. He can vouch. For crying out loud, Adam and I have been out of... We've shared hotel rooms together, brother. Um, I am not what you may think I am, but I have problems just like you. The closer you get to pastors, the more you realize they're nothing special. Amen. I grew up with one. And I know. I know what some of them say when they hit their thumb with a hammer. And it's not order me a cup of coffee. It's, it's a lot more salty than that. Amen. And this is why I always tell people, you grow close, close to, you grow close to Christ because the closer you grow to Him, the more perfect you realize He is. If you come here because of a man, you're going to grow close to Him and realize how bad He is. And so people compare and they think that there's no issues. Listen, I have marital issues. I'm working with Adrian, but I... That's my girl over there. I'm only teasing. We have marital issues, and they're most often my, my fault. We have family issues. And I mean things you couldn't even imagine. I'm serious. People come in and say, you wouldn't understand you're a pastor. I might understand way more than you think I do because I'm under attack a lot more than you think I am. I have financial issues. Have you seen my 88 Honda I'm driving? It's got a cracked windshield, red tape on the taillight. I mean... Of course, I laugh when I fill it up because I'm only paying about 30 bucks to fill the thing up. Amen. Anyway, I still battle my flesh. None of us have arrived. And and what makes all of this difficult tonight is I'm a sinner trying to pastor sinners. There's no perfect pastors. There's no perfect people. Therefore, there's no perfect churches. None of us have arrived. All right. But we have a perfect Savior. Amen. Amen. He's our sacred head, and unto Him belongs all glory in the church. Now, I don't know if you could tell, but Wednesday night I was off when I was here last. Uh, The beginning of the preaching was just off. My dad mentioned how he noticed it, and and why shouldn't he? He's my dad. Um, A parent should know their child well enough to, to see those things, even over live stream. I tried my best to pull it together. We got through it. I hope you didn't have to endure too much. So what's, what's your problem, preacher? It's verse 15. I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more I love, the less I be loved. To spend means I'll, ex- I'll expend, I'll incur every expense necessary. To be spent means I I, I will exhaust it all for you. 
And it gets to a point where I've given all. I've got nothing left to give. Look, we all got things going on. I've talked to several, several of you this week. You need to do what I'm about to tell you. You need to get away. You're not Superman. You're not Superwoman. You, you need to go take a break. And we all need to be aware how all of us have things going on. And, and we don't even know all the details as people are going through them. There's usually a lot more that's going on than just what they'll tell you on the surface. As a church family, we need to love each other. No, no, no. I, I said love each other. We are a family. And if we would care for one another selfish, selflessly, and serve others, we would be more Christ-like because that's how He treated us. And I recognize that as a pastor, I'm to be an example of what that would look like. But me and Pastor DeGarmo can't be the only ones doing it. And, and here's what I want to teach this flock tonight. A pastor needs to be a recipient of it. I can't just give and give and give. We all reach a point when personal time is needed. If stronger men than me needed help, then a weak man like me definitely needs help. You'll recall Moses needed someone to lift his hands up. Moses' father-in-law Jethro came to him, and as he was visiting the next day, he watched as Moses stood from morning to evening judging the people. They would come to him with questions and he would answer them. And, and Jethro comes to Moses and he says, The thing that thou doest is not good. What? How can you tell me it's not good to minister to people as much as I can? He says, Because thou wilt surely wear away. But listen to what he says next. Both thou and this people that is with thee. For this thing's too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Jethro was telling Moses, you aren't the only one who will waste away, but your congregation will suffer. If you're not strong, it's going to be reflected in the congregation. So he tells him, you need to let go and you need to let other people do some things. Now, I don't have a problem doing that. It may surprise you from what I'm saying tonight, but... I didn't even know Brother Long was going to have a meeting tonight or last this morning. And I'm glad he did. I have no problem delegating and saying, you just run that ministry as you see fit. I just want to be kept in the loop. That's it. So th this isn't a case of me not letting go of things. I'll, I'll, I'll give you more than you want. Jesus told His disciples, come, your, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, the Bible says, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. Jesus says, you need to have time away from work, guys. They had so many to deal with that they didn't even have time to eat. And I'm not being funny when I say this, but you may not can look at me and realize that I don't eat a whole lot. I know that I reflect that I do, but I really don't. In all seriousness, I can almost guarantee you I've missed more meals than I've had since being pastor because of so much work that is being put in. And that's not to get your pity. I'm just telling you how it is. And I'm not complaining, but you can only work so many 16 to 18 hour days in a row. And eventually you just got to... 
And, and listen, I'm not, some of you will appreciate this. I'm not talking about your military hours. All right, where you can get everything done in about an hour and the rest of the day you're goofing off. No, no, no. I'm talking about work. Being engaged, mentally working. Um, <laughs> I can tell you pastors are probably the worst at breaking the command to take a day of rest. And, and while I'm here, I'll tell you, there's only so many bad posts I can hear about. There, there's only so many critics I can deal with. Some have left church because one person criticized them, and I get them routinely. Let, let me help you out right here. If it's not a doctrinal issue, why criticize? If your opinion isn't edifying, then why post it out there? I can only deal with so many people going backwards. Well, I don't want to serve anymore in that capacity because I didn't get a good enough reaction from the folks. Wait a minute, who are you ministering for? Those are usually for, for the ones who say, I don't, I don't want you to praise me. Then why are you stepping backwards? Well, they don't look like they appreciate it. So what? Do it as unto the Lord. You want to see people that don't appreciate it, get up here and preach 40 minutes for three times a week. I can only deal with so many so-called spiritual people who get offended and leave because they didn't like what someone said. People need to grow up. Yeah, and now I'll let the Bible do it. Hebrews 13, 17, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. You understand, and I, I watch for your souls because I have to stand before God one day and give an account for all of this. And you better believe I take that serious. I'd much rather do it with joy than with grief. Would you keep that in mind the next time you, you get frustrated at me? And I understand what Paul means when he says, though the more I abundantly, or, or the more I love, the less I be loved. I'll continue to love you. Though the more I love, the less I be loved. Now, don't take that wrong. That's not a blanket statement, but there's been enough people to prove that statement true. Someone may be thinking, Pastor, you need to get thick skin. You don't know me very well. I, I invite you to be raised in the home I was raised in. We shot straight. And then be a meteorologist for 21 years where you get ridiculed over every little thing. And then be a pastor for seven years. I guarantee you my thin is thicker than you can comprehend. This isn't a matter of thick skin. It's been said a pastor needs the mind of a scholar, the heart of a child, and the skin of a rhinoceros. And that's true. Then what's my problem? My problem is I need to get away sometimes because I need to deal with me. I know when I get to that point because I don't want to deal with all your nonsense anymore. Didn't Pastor DeGarmo just teach on forbearance? Yes. That's why I get away. Because I have not arrived. When, when those moments come, I have to go away and see what's wrong with me. I'm supposed to be dead. And Christ living through me. And a dead man shouldn't be getting his... I can't use that term probably in church. No, my wife says no. I shouldn't be getting certain garments in a wad. 
mercy. Charles Spurgeon would spend times away. Sometimes Charles Spurgeon would spend weeks and months away. And it was because he had health issues and he also battled depression a great deal. That's maybe a little unknown fact about the man who pastored a 15,000, you know, church. But uh, he had a lot of depression issues and he would be gone for months at a time. I need to spend time away because I know I'm spent. And when I get spent, the military hat's about to come on. The dad hat's about to come on. And I'm about to say some things in a way that's going to offend some of you, and you'll leave, and you'll have that story for the rest of your life. I don't go to church because the pastor was mean. So like it or lump it, I'm the kind of pastor who knows it's time to get away when I'm not up to dealing with the immaturity of believers who tout that they're something bigger than they are. Now, before you run with all this in the wrong direction, I want to explain again. It's, it gets to this point because I've spent all, and when that happens, I'm about to get in the flesh. So I disappear. I need to work on myself. It's not because I expect more out of you. Believe me, it's because I expect more out of me. And, and somewhere along that trip, for those who don't know, I like to drive. First thing Ken asked, how many miles did you go this time? <laughs> 4,600 total, but um, that was with a two-day break, amen. Somewhere along the line, uh, the tears will well up as God begins to deal with me. And I'll look at my insufficiencies, I'll look at my inadequacies, and I'll want to quit. And, and God just begins to work on me. And I wish I could do more, and I wish I could be a more Christ-like pastor. There's times when God says, I need your full attention. And you need to get away from there, because you're too distracted. Believe it or not, being in the ministry is one of the easiest places to get out of line with God. Because you're spending and you're being spent. you got to get refilled. So it's not really a brain break, but I use that term because in order for me to focus, I need to mentally break away from all the other uh, demands of the ministry just to work on me. And it usually takes a minimum of two days, a minimum of two days, until I start to feel it again. I texted Pastor DeGarmo and said, I'm somewhere in the middle of nowhere, Texas, and I'm finally starting to feel it. You say, well, do you feel recharged after a week? No. To be honest with you, I don't. Say, why don't you stay away longer? Because I feel guilty. And I don't know if I should or not. The truth is, there's only been one time in, in the seven years that I've really felt like I was recharging this when we went to our anniversary trip and we did nothing for absolutely five days. I mean, you ever just wake up at the crack of noon for five days in a row? <laughs> Sit on the balcony watching the waves, smelling the salt in the air. I guess we should go get something to eat. Go eat, come back, sit on the balcony, watch the way, smell the salt in the air. I guess we should go get something to eat. Come back, sit on the balcony, listen to the way, smell the salt in the air. Get up at the crack of 12. Do that five days in a row. Wash, rinse, repeat, and you'll be recharged. Now, I just need you to understand there's times when my wife needs quality time with me and I need quality time with her. And as much as possible, that time needs to be spent away from the ministry. So don't try to be sneaky and say, well, you should have went to a conference when you... No, 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 no. But I know some pastors that have done that to their families. 
The only time they got away is if they were going to a conference somewhere. Sometimes you just need to get away. There's times when my children need quality time with their dad. And I need quality time with them. There's more times than I care to admit that I've had to leave the family to go deal with somebody's issues. And I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that's the facts. And, and yet they've never gotten bitter about that, at least to my knowledge. And, and thank God that they haven't. And I love them all the more because of their understanding attitude. And it's largely because of, of how Adrian handles it, I'm sure. And then what a blessing to get encouragement from your children as they grow up in the ministry. Got the nicest text from Sydney while I was gone this last time and just did my heart good to receive that message from her. And so there's times when I need you to be okay with me just unplugging for a moment. Times when my wife needs to unplug for a minute. Times when we need to get away together. Times when our family needs to get away together and do nothing ministry related. I want to be here and I feel guilty because I love you. I want to be available to you because I love you. My heart is in this church. For those who don't know, I've been coming around this church since 01. I mean, this is home. This is it, man. I'm I'm not looking to build a resume and go take the next one that offers me more money. This is it. So what happens if we fire you? I ain't pastoring again. And we have plenty of capable men and women who are more than able to step up and minister to others. And besides this, listen, a church isn't about one man or one family. But the fact remains, the fresher I can be as your pastor, the better the church is going to be. Now, I don't understand all that, but that's just how it is. But I can't be recharged without you. I need you to understand that if I'm not here for every event, it doesn't mean I don't love you. There are times I need you to be patient with others ministering to you. There are times you'll have to wait on a text response, a phone call, or to schedule a meeting. No one person can be there for everyone, but if everyone will be there for someone, then everyone will be cared for. Let me say that again. No one person can be there for everyone, but if everyone will be there for someone, then everyone will be taken care of. And believe me, I knew coming into this position... I can't do it all. I grew up in a pastor's home. I get it. I'm not perfect. I'm limited. But this church does not rise and fall on my sufficiency. It rises and falls on the sufficiency of Christ. We all need to stay fresh and functioning. All of you. And to those who have talked to me this week, because I was surprised the amount of people who did in light of what I was going to be speaking on. For those who have come to me, you need that time away. You need time just to, listen, you may think you're Superman, you're not. I've I've told our staff, I I want you to take two weeks away a year and do nothing ministry related. That's what I want from them. If they do it or not, whatever, you know. Justin's never missed a service in his life as far as I know. (laughs) So this is good advice for everyone. We all need to stay fresh. We all need to function at a Christ-like level. And we can do this because we can have love for the family of God. But I want you to understand, the love for each other will be tested. And there will be times when I'm symbolically standing up here and... (laughs) 
Sometimes you just need to get away and unplug. It's okay if you do. So long as you're not just doing it because you've been lazy for six months and now that laziness has made you lazy. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We had the blizzard for three days or whatever it was. I'm like, man, I'm tired from doing nothing. I want you to know my heart's heavy. There's a lot that I'd like to communicate tonight, but our time is slipping away. It's already 15 after. I, I don't seek your pity. I don't seek your applause. I don't seek your approval. I seek your understanding. Paul says in verse 19, Thank you that we excuse ourselves unto you. We speak before God in Christ. And, and what Paul is saying there is, um, I'm not seeking for your prestige because I know who I am in Christ. And he says, we speak before God in Christ. We stand before God's judgment bar, not yours. I don't need humans to pat me on the back. I don't need to be great in the eyes of men. I don't need to campaign for your approval. I'm only concerned with what God thinks. And Paul says, you're not my judge. But all I want to do is build you up, my dearly beloved. So here's my conclusion I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. That's not going to change. What I need and what my family needs in return is the understanding that we need time to recharge, that we might continue to be spent, spend and be spent for you. I'll continue to need time away just to work on me. My wife knows when it's time for me to get get away. I tried my best to convince her I need to stay. I got too much to do. I got to get it done, and I don't have the time to get it done. And she said, You need to go. So blame her. Please don't let the suddenness, the no notice, bug you. In a church like ours, if I were to wait till everything was just right to go, I'd never go. Plus, it's necessary for my welfare. And it's ultimately good for the church body. I hope I haven't been too vulnerable to you tonight. Finally, I would say, love your church family. Minister to others. Pastor DeGarmo taught on this for two weeks in Sunday school just recently. John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. I wish I had time to present all this better, but this is what's on my heart. And there's a lot swirling around, but I'll just leave it here. Uh, I am honored to be the pastor of this church. This is, this is the pinnacle outside of family. This is it. I love it. I love what I do. Don't ever think that I don't. Uh, I'm just a moron at times, and I need to get away, and I've got to work on myself. It's not because of you. It's because of this guy. I know what I am apart from Christ. And I've told you that before. That's what God showed me in North Dakota. And you know what he showed me? You are nothing. No, no, no. I don't mean that you have some good qualities. You're nothing. God said to me, as for you and your flesh, there dwells no good thing. The moment you start thinking you're something, you're heading for trouble. And there's times that I just have to realize, you know what, I can be an idiot. and I can say some stupid things. And if I say things the way sometimes that I want to say them in my flesh, we're all in trouble. 
And I speak that to my shame. That is not a boast. That is me understanding how frail I am. So please understand, I'm not some super Christian. (laughs) Enough. Let's pray.